0: Welcome to the Global Research News Hour. My name is Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio stations CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabe Gaking, the homeland of the Metis Nation and the historical territory of the Nahiwak and the Nakota. On this special holiday edition of the show, we're playing excerpts from the 14th Forum of the World Association for Political Economy, held this year at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg from July 19th to 21st. The World Association for Political Economy is an international academic organization founded by Marxist economists and related groups around the world. The mission of WAPE is to utilize modern Marxist economics to analyze and study the world economy reveal its laws of development and offer policies to promote economic and social progress on the national and global levels. One of the keynote speakers at this year's forum was Maria Paez-Victor. She is a Venezuelan-Canadian sociologist and the winner of the Distinguished Achievement Award in Political Economy for the 21st Century. Her presentation was entitled Venezuela, Disturbing Echoes of History. In this address, Dr. Paez-Victor, notes the economic, financial, and media assault against Venezuela by the USA and its allies as also being a full-scale assault on the system of international law that since 1945 has helped limit aggression. Dr. Paez-Victor believes that for all its imperfections, international law is the last bastion against an economic system of increasing polarization, undisguised looting, and violence. The USA and its allies, including Canada and their corporations, covet Venezuela's immense resources and are engaged in an attempt to dismember the nation-state and empower anew, a comprador ruling class. However, in this task, they are up against a historically rooted Venezuelan collective imagination, radically transformed at the grassroots by the Bolivarian Revolution, which has also redefined the state. Their struggle remains a beacon for Latin America and the world. doctor paez Piaz-Victor addresses three questions in her talk. What is really happening in Venezuela? Why is it happening? And what will happen next? What follows is an abbreviated version of the talk she gave on July 20th.
1: For any student of political economy, these are critical times in which to be aware of dramatic social transformations. Revolutionary changes are a fluid thing where the actions of the people embody and sometimes overtake theory. Today I will try to give you an overview of momentous social change that is occurring right now in Venezuela and its wider implications. Now, if you were to rely on uh, the mainstream media to understand what's happening uh, in in Venezuela, um, you would be left with the impression that before Chavez, Venezuela was a beacon of uh, democracy in Latin America and one of its richest countries. That Chavez transformed Venezuela into a socialist state and himself into a dictator. Uh, eliminating any real opposition and freedom of the press, and that the economy under Maduro's socialist policies has virtually collapsed, uh, leading to to massive out-migration, hyperinflation, widespread poverty. I'm just surprised that they don't add bubonic plague in there. (laughs) Uh, the Western uh, democracies led by the USA have imposed strict sanctions designed to remove Maduro and reestablish democracy in Venezuela. Well, I will provide a very different understanding of the situation, um, and um, I'm going to try and answer these three questions. What is really happening in Venezuela, why is it happening, and what will happen next? Well, the first question is what is really happening in Venezuela. There is a political campaign against the uh, the Venezuelan government. The United States, Canada and Europe are relentlessly attacking the legitimate democratically elected government of Venezuela that represents the hitherto marginalized, impoverished, traditionally abandoned popular classes. Um, Social media sends out more than 3,600 false news on Venezuela daily. And this was just in the the Latin American news on April 18th. They are promoting a worldwide campaign to demonize Nicolás Maduro, repeating ad nauseum that he's a dictator without any um, evidence. And despite free elections... It's similar to the weapons of mass destruction canard that opened the gate to the destruction of Iraq. Now, it's a curious dictatorship that in 20 years of Bolivarian government, Venezuela has had 23 free elections for president, for governors, for municipal uh, representatives, and in which the governing party actually lost three elections, three times. And I, I don't know a dictator who ever loses elections and it's one of the very few democracies in the world that has a constitutional procedure um, for revoking uh, uh, an, elect- an elected president or a governor. Well, this is the Bolivarian Revolution based on Simon Bolivar's ideas and, of course, the, uh, the ideas of uh, socialism that Hugo Chavez brought forward. The USA and allies are backing the fascist, forces in Venezuela. I'm not insulting them, I am describing them. The upper class elites that governed for 40 years with impunity now lead the opposition. Uh, During that time, this comprador class overwhelmingly benefited from Venezuela's oil uh, revenue bounty since the start of the century. The Venezuelan state, was an instrument of domination by the upper classes over the lower classes, neatly mirroring uh, Marx's analysis of the state. It preserved the concentration of economic and political power typical of a capitalist state, but contrary to real democracy. Now, there is a class struggle being fought in Venezuela. It is evident, it is inevitable, it is irreconcilable the Bolivarian revolution managed to wrestle the apparatus of the state away from the governing elites and facilitated the participation of the vast majority of the public, of of the people in public affairs. Now, it's not in any way perfect. I'm not saying that, but it is happening, hence the loathing of the upper classes and they're all out US supported and led opposition to the elected government. What we have in Venezuela is a hybrid war being waged against it. The USA is applying a new war strategy, hybrid warfare, a combination of new technologies, social media, drones, cyber attacks, as weapons test for their further domination of the region and other nations. Uh, much as Germany did prior to World War II. Hybrid warfare, or sometimes called the War of the Second Generation, is a military strategy which employs political warfare and blends conventional o- warfare with irregular warfare, those are the, the, the mercenaries, and cyber warfare with other influencing methods such as fake news, uh, diplomacy, lawfare, foreign uh, electoral intervention. The defeat of the USA in the Vietnam War is a historic precedent that is very relevant to the situation today in Latin America. The routing of the most technologically advanced and powerful army in the world by poor, but well-organized and determined guerrilla fighters defending their homeland forced the US military to realize that brute force bombing and chemical warfare were not enough to hold a country when the oppressors were not supported by the people. This caused the U.S. military establishment to seek a different type of war, one that would make the civilian population the main focus of violence, psychological, cultural, and economic tactics, the hybrid warfare. Multitude of ways are now used to distort perceptions, to create general instability, fear, anxiety, uh, dissatisfaction, and ultimately civil war. The untimely and mysterious death of Hugo Chavez and the fall of international oil prices happening together spurred the USA and its allies to intensify their war against Venezuela. During the presidency of Nicolás Maduro, the aggression has really escalated with a foreign-backed opposition, worldwide media uh, demonization, sabotage, paramilitary attacks, coup attempts, street violence, and an economic and financial assault that has devastated the economy. It's not Maduro's socialist policies that have done it. So, we should look at the sanctions because Venezuela's Achilles heel has been the economy. The country has been subject to brutal economic sanctions that severely restrict the import of food, medicine and essential goods and drastically reduce the export of oil uh, and prevent Venezuela's participation in international financial markets. Economic sanctions are tantamount to a blockade. They have caused tremendous impacts and cost to the nation. From just August 2017 to December 2018 alone, the sanctions cost Venezuela $23 billion. At the same time, $30 billion of Venezuela's assets have been frozen, read stolen, by the USA. This includes appropriation by the USA, of Venezuela's gasoline company, Cidgo worth seven billion dollars, plus eleven billion coming in this year, and alarmingly, alarmingly, they are distributing the funds of Cidgo to the opposition leaders in Venezuela. Oil exports, which account for ninety-five percent of the country's income, have been drastically reduced because of the sanctions on the refineries and on shipping. International banks are prohibited from carrying out transactions involving Venezuelan accounts. The USA and European banks have stolen Venezuelan funds to the amount of 5.4 billion dollars. The Bank of England has appropriated Venezuelan gold in its vaults worth 1.5 billion. The Bank of England has stolen 1.5 billion dollars of Venezuelan oil uh, gold. This is a chilling message that it can keep the gold of any country it disagrees with. Germany took back its gold worth 40 billion last year. They were wise to what was happening. And not surprisingly, Poland and Hungary have requested that they return their gold. So trust in capitalist banking system is beginning to win. Now money is one thing, but human rights, human lives are another. The U.S., Canada, and the Allies are truly terrorizing the Venezuelan population, trying to starve them to death and keep crucial medicines from the most vulnerable people, the infirm, the weak, the children. 180,000 medical operations have been canceled. 823,000 chronically ill uh, patients are waiting for medicine. The Venezuelan Pharmaceutical Association reported 85% shortage in medicines in 2018. Now, two UN, uh, they're called human rights rapporteurs, who have gone to Venezuela, Dr. Alfred Desaya and Idris Jasairi, they denounced the sanctions uh, on Venezuela as illegal, equated them to medieval sieges, and considered them crimes against humanity. And the economists, these are American economists, uh, Mark Weisbrot and Columbia University Jeffrey Sachs estimate that between 2017 and 18, the sanctions have killed 40,000 Venezuelans. Canada and the United States and Europe have killed those 40,000 Venezuelans. Their report, however, has not been given the media attention that it receives. As many commentators have have noted, unilateral economic sanctions of the kind which Venezuela has been subjected to are illegal. They are a weapon of war and a crime against humanity. They negate or usurp the sovereignty rights of nations. They violate the principles of non-intervention and non-interference in the internal affairs of of sovereign states, uh, expressed in many International laws, which I have put up here, Um, for example, the UN Article um, 2 of the UN Charter, clearly states uh, a prohibition that they are not listening to. Uh, The Vienna Declaration, uh, which which says clearly that economic uh, sanctions cannot be used uh, to coerce a state and Article 7 of the Rome Statute, and of course also articles of the International Criminal Court. This looting of Venezuelan assets has not turned out so well. Juan Guaido, an opposition leader who recently proclaimed himself President of Venezuela, has agents who are simply putting the money that the U.S. gives them into their own personal accounts. They're thugs, they're just, Criminals. This has incensed other <laughs> Venezuelan opposition leaders who have been left out of this munificent distribution. So they're fighting amongst themselves. And this um, infamous US Senator Marco Rubio admitted publicly that they put $117 million in Guaido's personal account. Now what would be re- the reaction in Canada or in China, if a foreign politician admitted that they had put millions in the personal account of the leader of the NDP, say, or the leader of the Communist Party in China. Well, the Pan Am Post reported that Colombian intelligence revealed to them that Guaidó's agents in Colombia stole the funds to help the 354 army deserters there, and Guaidó's supposed representative in Washington, Carlos Vecchio, who is an outlaw wanted by the Venezuelan justice, has personally appropriated 70 million. These are thugs. Now, I must talk about the election of President Maduro, as the United States tries to say that he isn't really the president. On May 20th, of uh, uh, 2018, President Maduro was reelected with 6.3 million votes. Six opposition candidates from 16 democratic opposition parties took place. There were 150 international observers. But most of all, I want to call you to the attention that Jimmy Carter a few years ago did a study of 93 elections all over the world and he said that the process, the Venezuelan process for elections was practically fraud proof and it was the best in the world. Now it's indeed a serious blow to democracy to discount elections before they have taken place and urge, in fact, that they do not take place. And yet that is exactly what the opposition and the USA and allies did. They told Venezuelans not to vote in these elections. And to its shame, Canada did not allow Venezuelans living here to vote in the Venezuelan consulates. An unheard of intrusion on another country's exercise of democratic vote. So much for Canada's often touted respect for the rule of law, which. You know, they always say. Now, let us not accept the farce that the quarrel with Venezuela is about legitimacy or democracy. This is a blatant neo-colonial war against Venezuela to reduce it to a puppet state, to balkanize it, and to take possession of its oil, gold, and other resources. Very rich country in resources. These are modern pirates acting on behalf of corporate capital. That is what is happening. Now, the opposition. I, I hate to use the word opposition because we say here opposition in Canada, and you think, oh, very nice people there, you know, uh, behaving very well. No, the opposition in Venezuela is a violent opposition, it's extreme right. It is not engaged in ordinary politics as we would have here, but in a desperate class struggle, trying to provoke chaos or civil war, which would then give the excuse for foreign military intervention that would then hand power over to them. And if they should succeed in this manner, the only way they could retain power would be by brutal oppression, just like Pinochet in Chile. The overwhelming majority of the Venezuelan population is black, brown, indigenous, and knows that whatever its shortcomings, the Bolivarian revolution and government is their government. It is a government that has striven to pull them out of poverty and exclusion, and Venezuelans are not going to take this uh, dictatorship uh, lying down. There are democratically minded opposition groups, but the extreme right opposition is prevalent. It is not interested in an electoral process that they cannot corrupt or win, and they want to become the government by other means. More than 300 rural campesino leaders have been assassinated by mercenaries, as well as a whole host of Chavista leaders, which the mainstream press hardly ever mentions. Just between 2013 and 17 there were 123 victims of the opposition violence who were lynched, beheaded, burnt or assassinated. Violent opposition events are then interpreted by NGOs as human rights abuses by the government forces and never as abuses of the paid opposition mercenaries that kill, maim, destroy and disrupt the peace. For example, In 2014, Leopoldo Lopez, who is the son of two of the most traditional and richest families in the country, who is the leader of the right-wing party Voluntad Popular, which although very, very small, is the most violent and extremist right-wing party in Venezuela, and not by chance, is backed by the USA. It does not want elections or negotiation, only forceful regime change. Well, in 2014, this is him. Leopoldo López, before the TV cameras, he's not very smart, before the TV cameras, he openly instigated violence to overthrow the government, causing millions of dollars in damages to public property and the deaths of 47 people. For this, he was given a fair trial with the best lawyers available to his rich family, and sentenced to 14 years in jail. But he's considered by the USA as a political prisoner and also by Canada. Um, The helicopter bombing, on 26th of June, uh, an ex-officer, Oscar Perez, on a stolen army helicopter terrorized the city of Caracas, threw grenades, and he threw grenades at the building of the Supreme Court of Venezuela. Two policemen died. This crazed criminal was lauded both by the opposition and foreign press as some sort of poster boy freedom fighter. An assassination attempt by drones on August fourth, 2018, at a military parade, Nicolas Maduro became the first head of state anywhere to suffer an assassination attempt by drones. If successful, this would have had would have eliminated in one swoop all the top leaders of the government. It would have been a really devastating blow. And of course, there's the attempt at creating a parallel puppet government. On the 23rd of January of this year, Juan Guaidó, whom I mentioned before, who is a CIA-trained person, hitherto unknown deputy for the Voluntad Popular, extremist party, stood in the middle of a street, raised his hand, and self-proclaimed himself president of Venezuela. There were no elections, and there is absolutely no basis in law in the Venezuelan constitution for someone to do such a thing. He did have, however, the complete backing of the USA and Canada uh, for this charade. Guaidó cannot muster the obedience of one single policeman, let alone be the president of Venezuela. Yet, the usual suspect nations close to Trump hurried to recognize him, but not so the 125 or more non-aligned UN member states who continue, of course, to recognize Nicolás Maduro as the only president of Venezuela. And then, of course, we had the humanitarian aid excuse for an invasion. On February the 20th of this year, the self-proclaimed Guaido staged a humanitarian aid stunt which did not have the UN or Red Cross um, support. He attempted to forcefully uh, enter Venezuela from Cucuta, Colombia over a a bridge um, with with USA and Colombian troops standing by. This political theater proved a failure. Uh, Guaido had promised the USA that there would be a mass desertion by the uh, Venezuelan military police, uh, military army there on the other side of the bridge. And what they witnessed instead was an impressive sight of the Venezuelan army, steadfast defenders of the Constitution, standing in a solid formation, wall-like, impervious to insults, to taunts, to promises, and right behind the soldiers. Standing there with their army was a sea of civilians showing their support. At this point, the head of the Colombian army informed the Colombian President Duque, who was there, that they could not possibly invade with that powerful Venezuelan showing of military civic strength. It freaked them out, actually. Men on the Colombian side set fire to the supposed trucks with the the aid, revealing that they contained not food, but material for street riots. Even the New York Times reported this. USA Vice President Pence and presidents of Colombia and Chile who were there witnessed this debacle. The powerful military civic union of the Bolivarian forces diminished any hope that an invasion of Venezuela would be an easy win for Trump to tout into the next U.S. presidential elections. And then, of course, we had the horrifying cyber attack on the electricity system. Two weeks later, on March 6th, The entire electrical capacity of the country failed due to a cyber attack on the country's main electricity generating system, causing a terrifying six-day nationwide blackout. The attack severely damaged the country's electrical system in ways... Never imagined. There were no lights, there was no elevators, there was no water since the pumps weren't working. Schools were canceled, clinics and hospitals had to suspend medical operations. It was, however, remarkable, beyond any expectation, that there were no riots. There was no social unrest. The people were calm. They knew that this was an attack, that this was not the inefficiency of their government. In fact, people thought that it was going to be an actual attack. People thought that the bombs were going to start a coming. The engineers were baffled, having never considered such a blackout of this magnitude was even possible. Well, what seemed to be only science fiction turned out to be science, The USA Army Branch, the Pentagon Cyber Command, has been dedicated to cyber attacks warfare since 2009. President Maduro claims to have solid evidence that the grid was indeed attacked by the USA. Five hours before the blackout, infamous US Senator Marco Rubio again, reported to the US House of Representatives that Venezuelans are just about to experience the most dramatic shortage that they ever had. Quite a coincidence. And Guaido next day said that he had a hand in it. And then, of course, there was the attempted coup. There was no, if there was any doubt that the supposed President Guaido held no authority whatsoever, it was made clear on the 30th of April when he attempted a coup d'etat, having no popular support no military following, it failed. He lured a small military unit to where he was under false pretenses and these fellows promptly left when they realized it. Uh, He did manage to spring Leopoldo Lopez from his house arrest and uh, he uh, immediately fled to the Spanish embassy. Guaido was left to wander the streets of Venezuela, another failure on his head and the government did not fall into the trap of arresting him. There is a very famous Mexican intellectual called Fernando Buenavar and he has said that Venezuela has been the target of the most irrational and unjust attacks, all the most obscene and vile dirty tricks, all the most crude and unacceptable injustices. And Lenin, insightfully, so many years ago, described the situation in which Fidel, Chavez, and now Maduro find themselves. Maduro finds himself. Said Lenin, during the lifetime of great revolutionaries, the oppressing classes have invariably meted out to them relentless persecution and received their teachings with the most savage hostility, most furious hatred, and ruthless campaign of lies and slanders.
0: That was Maria Pia's victor Presenting before the World Association for Political Economy Forum on July 20th, 2019, at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg, Canada. And this is the Global Research News Hour, heard every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on affiliate stations across Canada and the United States. You can download a copy of the show by visiting globalresearch.ca and following the links to Global Research News Hour. Here's more of Maria Paez Victor speaking on the topic of Venezuela disturbing echoes of history.
1: Now, I'd like to talk to you about the nefarious role of international NGOs. International NGOs play an important role, they are spies and saboteurs. They defame the government internationally and spread millions of malign propaganda, false news. These um, companies here, these organizations are the agents of financed destabilization of the Venezuelan political order. In Venezuela alone, between the years 2000 and uh, 2012, the NED, that's the um, National Endowment for Democracy, invested more than $100 million and created 30 NGOs in Venezuela to back the opposition. These local NGOs spin accusations against the government, creating tensions within the country and discredit outside it. Some uh, social problems that are commonplace in in other countries, in any country, are blamed on the socialist policies of Maduro's government, such as, for example, migrations. It is not true that millions of Venezuelans have fled the country. Ironically enough, the CIA, the CIA World Factbook, which I recommend you read, in the year 2018 gives the migrant rate as 1.2 per thousand migrants. Therefore, only 38,000 Venezuelans migrated that year. That's that's not millions. It's 38,000. But. It's the human rights, especially, that have become the latest weapon against Venezuela. A politicized punching bag, distorted out of all recognition. Widespread killing of journalists and activists in Colombia, for example, are played down by the Western media. But opposition leaders in Venezuela who are duly and properly jailed for crimes, not ideas, become human rights heroes. When the opposition orchestrated the street violence in 2014, they set fire to several young men who were dark-skinned, and they looked Chavista. There was no outrage when Orlando Figuera, a 20-year-old young man, was burnt to death before the cameras. Only Chavistas mourned him. The latest human rights travesty was the blatantly biased report by former Chilean President Michelle Bachelet, who should be ashamed of herself. 82% of the people that she interviewed for this report lived outside the country. The report ignored information provided by the Venezuelan government about all kinds of social programs, and it contained 70 factual errors, in other words, lies, and it was outright rejected by the U.N. Rights Council on July the 9th. The second question is, why is this happening? Well, the Venezuelan elites. The patriot army that finally defeated the Spanish army in the second decade of the 1800s included all the people, the slaves, the indigenous peoples, and the pardos. The pardos are the mixed mixed color lower class. And they included them in the aims and in the practice of the war of independence. But the Venezuelan elite called Los Mantuanos, which was comfortable with the Spanish overlords, resented that one of their kind, the great Simon Bolivar, was leading the independence movement and working to deprive them of their slaves because he was working for abolition. The US nor Europe did anything to help the the patriots war against Spain. But immediately after independence, the USA set out to manipulate and domain and dominate the new republics. Even then, this was not a new agenda because in 1786, Thomas Jefferson said the following. I'm gonna read it really slowly. So you can see how deeply this goes into the United States psyche. Our confederation should be considered the nest from which all America, both North and South, should be settled. For now, these countries are in the best of hands, Spain. And I only fear that they will be too weak to keep them subjected until our population has grown enough to go on to snatch them up piece by piece. And the U.S. Monroe Doctrine of 1823, seemingly to protect the region from further European colonization, in fact asserted uh, the interests of the USA in the region. It led all successive governments to consider Latin America and the Caribbean their backyard, populated by backward and corrupt people who needed their guidance. The farce of the USA being any sort of defender of the region region from Europe was clearly laid bare when the USA backed Margaret Thatcher's unconscionable war against Argentina over Las Islas Malvinas, uh, the Falkland Islands. So US President (coughs) Theodore Roosevelt then came along with his carrot and stick doctrine. Um, This led the USA administrations from then on to co-opt local comprador uh, elites that received any carrot offered for their betrayal. And over the years, the USA opposed each and every one of the enlightened progressive leaders and governments of Latin America and the Caribbean and helped maintain elite rule. This includes at least 80 invasions, coup d'etat, interventions to destabilize and even assassination of leaders of said governments. During the 20th century, every every Venezuelan administration that however mildly tried to assert some degree of sovereignty over the petroleum resources was overthrown by Washington. As Simon Bolivar observed, the United States appears to be destined by providence to plague America with misery in the name of liberty. In 1999, after several decades of gross human rights violations and increased corruption that left the democratic process in disrepute and to dismay of the ruling elites, a complete outsider um, won the presidential elections in Venezuela with a landslide who was Hugo Chavez. He beat them at their own game. Yet this Comprador upper class that now leads the opposition in Venezuela has maintained a great deal of its economic power, both commercial and financial, and media ownership. One of the salient characteristics of this class is racism. Racism towards their own people, a legacy of their slave-owning past, which in many subtle yet real ways persist. President Chavez was ridiculed for his humble rural background and black and indigenous uh, ethnicity. Maduro is scorned for being born in a poor urban barrio and his nine-year employment as a bus driver in Caracas. He is our working-class president. Racism and classism thrive in the Venezuelan bourgeoisie. The revolutionary struggle for equality in Venezuela necessarily means opposing the ideology of white supremacy of the upper classes. Many who even deny uh, that such obvious racism exists. They're not supporting the return of democracy in Venezuela. They are crushing democracy uh, by exploiting class and race warfare and that's being carried out by this elite white uh, supremacist minority. Now, I cannot talk about Venezuela without talking about oil. The discovery of oil in Venezuela at the turn of the century transformed the functioning of the economy and the state. The state became the distributor of income derived from the sale of exported petroleum, doling out this bounty according to the interest of those closest to it, the upper classes. The private sector did not become uh, an engine of economic development, employment, innovative production as it it would have done in a genuine capitalist economy. The typical dependency of the state on the owners of capital is reversed in oil exporting nations. The capitalists depend on the state, not the reverse. This is why the analysis of an oil-exporting economy has to be different from the analysis of a conventional capitalist economy. The Venezuelan upper classes want to regain the largesse of the state on which they depended until the election of Chavez. The supposed capitalist class in Venezuela, with relative few exceptions, is a comprador class with strong links to foreign capital. It is a parasitic private sector dependent on lucrative import transactions with the help of state funds, loans, and contracts. That Venezuela has the largest known petroleum reserves in the world, that it takes 43 days for an oil tanker to go from the Middle East to Texas, and it only takes four days for an oil tanker to go from Caracas Uh, the the port of Caracas to Texas is a powerful clue as to the USA's desire for control. John Bolton has openly stated that the goal in Venezuela is to gain control of Venezuela's oil. President Trump said, gangster-like, that he did not understand why we are not at war with Venezuela because they, they have all that oil and they're right on our back door. So that's no mystery. And What is really changed in Venezuela is the fact that Chavez won the election in uh, 1999 on the promise that he would bring a new constitution to Venezuela. One of the most enduring legacies of President Hugo Chavez has been the Venezuelan constitution that defined the new Bolivarian Venezuelan state. The Constitution was ushered in by a referendum. Um, There was a countrywide representatives who were elected uh, and who wrote it after extensive consultation, and it was ratified by another referendum. Now, after 19 years, it is being revised by another elected National Constitutional Assembly to correct certain vestiges of the bourgeois liberal framework, which is still there and to deepen socialist principles. The Constitution is anchored in the concept of both individual and social rights. Social rights, like you have the right to education, for example, a right to culture, right to um, have a clean environment. It enshrines human rights hitherto muted or absent, such as the rights of women, of children, all indigenous peoples, the handicapped, and the environment. It closed some of the loopholes with which the upper classes had ruled, and it asserted the sovereignty of Venezuela over its own resources. Its impact in the country has been immense, but it has also been influential in the region, having inspired the new constitutions of Ecuador and Bolivia. Now, one would agree with Marx, who stated that society is not based on the law but that the law must be based on society expressing its common interest and needs and, and, and the social needs. So just so, the Bolivarian Constitution expresses the longing for rights and sovereignty of a majority of the people that had long been marginal to the affairs of state, whose human rights uh, were only nominally recognized and their desire for an alternative society to this savage capitalism, as Hugo Chavez used to call it. The Venezuelan working class recognize that, however faulty, the state now defines itself by their interests and that the anti-democratic sector of the opposition makes no promise they could possibly believe in. In 2007, Hugo Chavez was re-elected under another election promise. The first election, he promised a new constitution. The second electoral promise, he promised to build Venezuelan socialism, calling it the socialism of the 21st century. It owes its roots not only to European thinkers, such as Marx and Engels, but also to the intellectual legacy of Simon Bolivar, sovereignty, egalitarianism, abolition of slavery, imperialism, and the regional integration, and the communitarian ancient traditions of Venezuela's indigenous peoples. He rooted Venezuelan socialism in its history, in its culture, and cosmological and spiritual traditions. Liberation theology, for example, has greatly influenced the Bolivarian Revolution. This is a revolution that is recognized by the Venezuelan people as their socialism. This was Chavez's genius and his contribution to socialism worldwide. He dared proclaim it after the fall of the Berlin Wall, after the dissolution of the USSR, and after the rumors that history had come to an end. And he showed the world that socialism was still a force to be reckoned with. So Bolivarian socialism, there are those who deny that it exists, and they deny that what is happening in Venezuela is a revolution or that it's even socialism. These cosmopolitan left-wingers of the northern countries have too often disdained the Bolivarian revolution because it did not fit with their narrow Eurocentric theoretical frameworks. Because it is also humanistic and spiritual as well as socialist and participatory and democratic. Many of them who claim to know so much about the conduct of revolution want to dictate to the Venezuelan people what is and is not real, yet They have not been able to make a revolution in the USA, in Canada, or in Europe. History shows us that revolution occurs when the people stand up and defy empires, when they bear the brunt of their malice and yet stand firm and defend their rights and land and self-determination. The people know. As Atilio Boron, a great Latin American writer, explains, and Marx and Engels understood that revolution is not a creation event uh, of a single explosion of violence, but a historical dialectical process where the encounters of the class struggle and the counter-revolution determine the outcomes. Boron recalls that Fidel said, the main mistake we made in Cuba was thinking that someone knew how to make a revolution. The Bolivarian Revolution, like all strong social transformations, is a historic movement with gains and losses and missteps and complexities that override the status quo, the traditional forms of making politics. President Maduro has clearly stated that Venezuela is decided and determined to create a world that is multipolar, pluripolar, multicentric. There is no one single economic model. We cannot permit that they impose upon us a single economic model, a single way of thinking. So building socialism in Venezuela meant changing the very organization of the bourgeois state that was designed by elite rule. The communal councils and the communes have been at the forefront of that transformation. There are 50,000 communal councils in Venezuela. Venezuela's revolution is real. Just look at the enemies ranged against it. It is a process of revendication, of increasing consciousness of the people, and of defense of their sovereignty. It is a work in pro- progress. In Venezuela, we call it el proceso, the process, as the Venezuelans say, and only the Venezuelan people hold the key to its future. The current U.S. aggression is not simply against a regime, but against the Venezuelan nation itself, with plans to dismember it, uh, as they did in the past in Colombia to create Panama and could own the canal, and recently in Yugoslavia, Kosovo, Ukraine, they wish to divide it up amongst the willing allies. The oil-rich western borderlands for Colombia, Paraguay has its huge debt to Venezuela canceled, the eastern Essequibo for Guyana, the southern eastern Amazonic borderland for Brazil, and what is left of the nation, Canada gets the oil mines and the USA gets the oil fields. Now. We have to talk about the achievements. U.S. aggression towards Venezuela also stems out of concern that the remarkable achievements of this emerging socialism represents a real alternative to capitalism. The convicted war criminal, Elliot Abrams, he of the Contra's death squads in Nicaragua and the massacre of El Mosote, recently declared at the Foreign Relations Committee of the U.S. House of Representatives, something astounding. He said, can you imagine what it represents to construct three million houses without the participation of the private sector? Are we going to permit socialism to win in that country, a system to which we have been declaring war since we became the leading democracy of the free market? is what he said. He was quite honest, wasn't he? The Bolivarian revolution has had many successes that in any other country would have been hailed universally, such as uh, the ranks, it it increased the UN uh, human development ranks by seven places, Um, the poverty reduction, 50%, uh, that is quite astounding. illiteracy has been eliminated. Uh, there's free health care, free education, and most recently in the last uh, six or seven years, it has built 2.7 million houses. Um, the FAO awarded Venezuela an award uh, for its fight against malnutrition. Uh, it has gone up a little bit with the sanctions, but the increased food security, which wasn't there. We have nutritional programs, subsidized packages. Here are the subsidized food packages that the government, you see, in order to help the population so that they don't suffer from the sanctions, the government distributes packages of food twice a month to um, households. So the FAO has just recently said it's one of the countries that most uh, fights and has reduced uh, hunger. Education is free from nursery school to university. Enrollment is very high. So the achievements have been ignored. This, this is some of the houses that have been built. The achievements have been ignored, muted, denied or disparaged by the USA, its allies, and the disgraceful corporate mainstream press. Since January, this January, for example, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post have run a combined 800 articles on Venezuela, and only four of them mention uh, you know, the social programs and only to dismiss them. However, many of these achievements have been recognized by the UN and other uh, international organizations. So my question is, what is going to happen next? Let's see some echoes from history. During the Spanish Civil War in 1936 to 39, the Falange, which is the fascist forces of Francisco Franco, waged war against the elected liberal Republican Spanish government, and what ensued was a savage, vicious civil struggle in which an estimated one million people were lost. Fascism was the preferred ideology of the Spanish upper classes. The Axis powers, Germany and Italy specifically, backed Franco with resources and soldiers. The Nazis introduced a new diabolical war tactic, mass bombing of unarmed civilian populations with a new technology, their stucca dive bombers. Who can look at Pablo Picasso's masterpiece, Guernica, and not tremble with horror? at the depiction of the brutal assault on innocent, unsuspecting civilians fleeing from this fire that was falling on the skies on them. Russia backed the Republic, and many principled foreign individuals volunteered to defend it, joining the 15th International Brigade, which included the Canadian volunteers of the mackenzie Papineau uh, Battalion. The Spanish Civil War became an international struggle of fascism against democracy, liberalism, and communism. But the governments of North America and Europe all turned their backs on the Republic and failed to substantially defend democracy. By doing this, they gave the Nazis a green light for their further war plans. The Nazis, seeing how the leading powers, Britain and France, did not defend Spain, surmised that they would also not defend Czechoslovakia, which they invaded in early 1939, a precursor of World War II. And in the end, fascism won, the republic was lost, Franco governed Spain for decades afterwards, the Nazis were powerfully emboldened and strengthened to go on to greater atrocities. The parallels with the war that is being waged in Venezuela, are frightening. As in Spain, the targets are innocent people, an entire population, not soldiers. New technologies are in use, such as the sanctions, the cyber attacks, the terrorism. And North America and Europe are turning their backs on a democracy that is a victim to these atrocities. Which government is going to be next, is what I'd like to know. So, while... As President Maduro has said to the UN, Venezuela is stronger than ever. We know how to resist. We are standing and determined to go forward, constructing our own social model, that of the revolution of socialism of the 21st century. We are confident in the noble people of Venezuela who will not surrender. And if Maduro falls to an assassin's bullet, rest assured there are others in the government ready to take on. Now I will end here with the global implications. The ramifications of this assault on Venezuela's Bolivarian socialism erodes the very assumption on which states have hitherto based their security. The Westphalian principle of state sovereignty, which has stood since 1648 creating the modern nation state is in real danger from the push of powerful economic corporations who see national sovereignty and popular democracy as the true threat to their accumulation of capital through exploitation of land, water, and peoples. A participatory democracy such as Venezuela is a particular threat, accustomed as they are working through elites, uh, through representatives In a representative democracy, the unpredictable and uncontrollable exercise of popular power in communes, in communal councils, in collectives, in Congress, and at the ballot box becomes a force that the corporations counter with implacable determination. In Venezuela, the class struggle has broken through some formidable legal boundaries with its participatory democracy. Venezuela has set an example that the U.S.A. considers counter to its hegemony, and so it should. As Celina de la Croce has observed, Venezuela lies at the crux of a geopolitical war waged by global capital with the U.S. at its head to destroy the threat of a people-centered agenda once and for all. Make no mistake about this. The struggle of the Venezuelan people today, as it was in the 1800s, will define the destiny of the region and I do not exaggerate. If the US and allies destroy Bolivarian Venezuela, it will immediately go for Cuba, Nicaragua, Bolivia, and these are their words, not mine. In fact, it will impede any other regional government from exercising any real self-determination if it does not suit the interest of the USA and corporate capitalism. The fate of Venezuela's Bolivarian Revolution will determine also, in great measure, the triumph or failure of any sort of socialism as a viable alternative to savage capitalism. In conclusion, uh, the economic war against Venezuela has world political implications in that fundamental laws that for years have kept the peace are being threatened, uh, that even principles of ownership and banking uh, are also being threatened, the legal security of public corporations is threatened, The safety of foreign embassies has been threatened because they took over the Washington Embassy of Venezuela. Powerful nations have refused to uh, recognize the legitimate government of Venezuela. Human rights and humanitarian issues are callously misused as political weapons. And most important for you to remember, please, that illegal and immoral economic sanctions have become an instrument of undeclared war. They're punishing collectively an entire population and causing tens of thousands of deaths. However, Venezuela, representing socialism in the 21st century, is not responding as they wish. Along with Cuba, it is withstanding the pressure. And as De La Croce has pointed out, like Vietnam, Venezuela is the domino that will not fail. Will not fall.
0: That was Maria Pais Victor speaking in Winnipeg on July 20th, 2019, as part of the 14th Forum of the World Association for Political Economy. To see a video of this keynote address, you can visit the site geopoliticaleconomy.org and follow the links to WAPE Conference. To listen to this program again, Please visit the site globalresearch.ca and scroll down to the Global Research NewsHour tab and find all our archived shows, which are available for download. The audio was recorded by Paul Graham. Find his videos at the Paul S. Graham YouTube channel. Music this week was Shifting Sands from Purple Planet Music. Available from the website purple-planet.com. To leave your feedback, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I've been series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Thanks for tuning in.